Good morning. Well, that's really bad. Let's do that again. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. Just want to make sure you're awake on a Monday morning. Welcome to chapel. Um, this is the beginning of Missions Week here um, in chapel, and I get the opportunity to start us off, and we're going to actually be looking at uh, today uh, the role of women and witnessing, and we're going to look at a couple stories of Lydia and Dorcas from the book of Acts. Um, before we begin, though, let's begin with a word of prayer. Joy, Father, Lord God, we just thank you for the chance to be here and the opportunity to study your word and learn more about you from that text. And Lord God, we just ask that we grow through that knowledge of your word and in through that, that you will inspire us to move forward in our faith and be bold in our witness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning we're going to start off with um, a reading from Matthew 28. This is the resurrection account. And there are three slides, and so I want you to be involved in this. Slide number one, I'm going to have the ladies read slide number one. Slide number two will be the men. And then slide number three will again be the ladies. So uh, without further ado, ladies, why don't you start? I'll, I'll help start you off. Here we go. Now, after the... Gentlemen, And ladies. Thank you. You know what? We are in the season of Epiphany still. And this season began with uh, the story of the Magi coming to worship the baby Jewish Messiah, Jesus. And the only gospel that records that story is the same gospel in which we just read about the resurrection account. And I think it's interesting because when we look at this story of the Magi coming to Jesus, these are Gentiles. Okay? In Hebrew, they are the goyim, that is the outcasts, the outsiders. And here they are, this gospel starts with them coming to worship at the feet of the Jewish Messiah. And what's interesting is we see towards the end of this gospel, um, women who also in many ways in that culture were considered to be outcasts. Now, now, Jewish women actually fared better than Gentiles in that culture, but they were still treated as second-class citizens. When Jesus comes on the scene, he changes things. 
And we see some pretty amazing things in the gospel accounts with Jesus and his interaction with, with women. For instance, if you recall the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, for Jesus to go and talk to that woman was a big social no-no. And yet Jesus just kind of bucks that culture and decides to do it anyways. We also see, for instance, the story of Mary and Martha and the argument about uh, Mary not being in the kitchen with Martha and preparing the food, but rather she sits at the feet of Jesus with the other disciples and learns from him. What's, what's interesting about that story is that in that context, rabbis, only men sat at the feet of rabbis. Women did it, didn't. And we see in this story that Jesus actually praises that Mary chose to sit at his feet and learn as well. And now, when we get here to the resurrection account, what's very fascinating is that women were the first witnesses. Now you might be saying, well, why is that so interesting? Because in that culture, um, Jewish, there's some Jewish um, writings of the time that actually say that women who gave eyewitness testimony, they were no better than thieves, was their eyewitness testimony. It was considered to be on that kind of a low level. So for women to be the first eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus was a huge deal. And what's amazing here is that they're the ones that are tasked to go back and be those first witnesses to their brothers in the faith. That the women or to go back and do that. And you know, as I was pondering and thinking about that, I, I, I was reminded too of the crucifixion. Who went to the crucifixion? John was there, but also the women were there. And so we see this very powerful story that women are also included in being Christians and being eyewitnesses just like men. They were a part of that great cloud of witnesses that Hebrews 11 talks about that cloud that has gone before us, and that's inclusive of both genders. And we hear Paul is echoed here too as, as well, that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor female, not, neither male nor female, but all are one in Christ Jesus. And so today, I'm going to look at a couple of stories involving witnessing and women in the book of Acts. And I mentioned that before. Uh, Lydia and Dorcas is what we're going to be looking at. And I thought it would be highly appropriate to invite two of my Abbey West leaders to come and read this. And I've got April Hall, and I've got Jennifer Schlack. And what's interesting is we talk about Missions Week. Both these young ladies are actually involved in coordinating mission efforts for Abbey West. Uh, April Hall is involved in our local missions efforts, and Jennifer Schlack is actually involved in our, uh, as a witness coordinator. And so I thought, well, we're, we're talking about women and witnessing, and so here we go. We're going to invite you to come up. So we're going to look at the first story here of Acts chapter 16, and that is going to be the story of Lydia. Come on forward. So Acts chapter 16, verse 11, the conversion of Lydia. So setting sail from Thras, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who had heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, 
who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said to Paul, by Paul. And after she was baptized in her whole household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Thank this you, is, Jennifer. It's the word of the Lord. So we see the story of Lydia and basically her conversion. And I think, again, what's interesting is that um, there are a number of times in the book of Acts where they refer to very unnamed masses of people coming and being converted to the faith. In fact, we're told of, of Lydia's household, and we're not told the names of these people, but Lydia's actually mentioned by name. And I think that's a very important thing for us to point out that she's mentioned by name. And in a culture in which women were, again, were considered to be second-class citizens, she's mentioned by name in this book. Again, that idea of Christianity coming through and really being countercultural. Um, what's, what's fascinating about this story, too, is it's really not so much about Lydia being a witness herself, but rather her being witness too. Um, and there's some things I want to point out in this text that I think is also important for us as we think about our roles of being witnesses of Jesus. Um, first and foremost, if you look at verse 14, it says, The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord opened her heart. Today's world, I find with a lot of Christians that the E word is a bad word in the church. Evangelism. We don't want to mention that word. People are scared off by that word. People are scared off by the idea of doing evangelism. And it's for a number of reasons. I find that some people just feel very inadequate in the task of it. And so they feel like it's just too much of a burden. It feels like a very awkward thing to do. I don't know how to start. I don't know how to begin. So rather than just kind of get in this sort of awkward conversation, I'm just going to avoid it altogether. I also find, too, that in our younger generations, in the millennial generation, there's a sense of, like, I don't want to offend someone. So rather than giving an offense, I'm just not going to say anything else at all. But there's a third thing that I find, too, with a lot of Christians, and that's the sense of overwhelming, uh, kind of this almost oppressive feeling of evangelism that I have to do this. I have to do this, and it feels like this burdensome task, and again, I don't know how to do that or whatever, and so I just kind of spin my own wheels, and I don't even bother doing it at all. I think part of that is tied into the way that we understand Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And I've heard numerous amounts of times, pastors and teachers, that will actually say that word go is an imperative. It's a command from God. Go, you need to do this. And actually, in the Greek, it's not. It's a passive word. It's not an imperative. It's not a command. It's this idea that it's sort of an expectation that as you're going out, you're going to be making disciples and baptizing people. It's kind of thrust to that passage. So it's kind of a misunderstanding there. So I think first and foremost, there's that, there's that sense that evangelism shouldn't be burdensome. It shouldn't be something that we feel like is this oppressive uh, law thing from God, but rather it's a, I get to do this. And part of that freedom, again, goes back to what I just mentioned in verse 14. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord opened her heart. How often do we think it's our job to convert people? I had a professor in my first master's program that he said this. He goes, you know what? 
you're faithful when you just share the gospel. It's not your job to convert people. That's God's job. You're just faithful, period. And yet, in our American culture that we are in this kind of fast-paced culture, you know, we want our internet fast and we want our food fast and what have you kind of a thing. If I have to wait too long in the calf to get my hamburger, forget it, I'm going to leave. You know, we, we want to see conversion happen like this. And so we're daunted when we share the gospel and all of a sudden this, this people aren't, you know, converting. They're not getting on their knees and there's a shaft of light from heaven and the angel choirs are going, right? But you know what? Again, it's the Lord opening our heart, not us. We don't open people's hearts. God has given this wonderful task to us just to share the gospel. And you know what? Are you going to mess it up? Yeah. Are you going to bumble and fumble around? Yeah. But you know the amazing thing is that God takes messy people like us and still uses us. And will use even the messy way that we share the gospel with people to transform people and turn them into Christians. And so in that respect, there should be, should be this sense of freedom. I can go and just share. I can just share this, this amazing word. I can share this amazing Jesus but I don't convert. I don't do that job. That's not in my hands. And thank God, right? It's not in my hands. I think there's also another interesting thing here about this text. And it goes back to, it says here, she was a worshiper of God. There are some people that think that Lydia was probably a Gentile convert to Judaism. And so she already had in her background, so to speak, that Old Testament, some basic understandings. People poured into her ahead of time. And I think this is a very interesting thing that I've come to realize in my own work of, a, of witnessing evangelism is that oftentimes God uses multiple people to share the gospel message with one person. Now, I, I, I think this is probably the first time that Paul is sharing the gospel message, but what I want to point out is that there were previous teachers and who knows were involved in her life that kind of helped pave the way. And isn't that interesting? I think there's a temptation with some people that are there when they see that other person convert and become a Christian that they, that they get puffed up. Oh, look what I did. I, I, I did that. When in reality, no, first of all, you didn't. God did it. But second of all, how many other numerous people might have been involved, this great cloud of witnesses that were involved in that process of sharing the faith? You know, we've heard that cliche saying, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. You know, it takes a church to bear witness to a person about the faith. And and again, I think that's a freeing thing that, you know, I I might have an airplane conversation with somebody, and maybe it just doesn't go anywhere. But you know what? Who knows who's the next person that God's going to bring in that person's life to share that faith with him again and again and again and again. So again, I think there's that sense of God, God doesn't want anyone, right, to die without hearing his message. And so there's a sense that there's a freedom that there's going to be, I'm not the last word. That's where I'm going with that. I'm not the last word on that. That there are probably going to be other people, or maybe there was other people even before me. Maybe I am the last word, but there was other people before me that also shared that too as well. So I think there's some some things that we can look at in regards to that text. All right, now we're going to go to Acts chapter 9, and we're going to look at Dorcas. 
Acts chapter 9, verse 36 through 43. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Thank you, April. So I'm going to go back here for a moment. You know, what's interesting is that we see Dorcas, or we can call her Tabitha, that um, she was involved in this task of of making um, clothes for the widows. And if you know anything about widows in that day, I mean, they really were the poor of the poor. Uh, Widows in that day, they were dependent upon other people. If your husband died uh, and you didn't have any other family members around, you didn't have really a means to be able to get food and money and what have you. And sometimes that drove widows to be desperate and to go into prostitution. And so we see even back in the Old Testament, in God's law there, how he makes provision for widows and calls the people of God to be involved in that process. And that even carries on here and through the New Testament. And we even see early on in the book of Acts, there was a disagreement that arose regarding the the Greek widows and the Jewish widows in the church. And and, uh, there's where it came about that they brought Stephen to be in charge and kind of overseeing that process. So taking care of widows was, was an important part of this. And we see this lady that she just kind of simply just made clothes for them. Now, it's speculation on my part, but I, I kind of view Dorcas as being somebody who was just kind of this quiet, unassuming lady that just was faithful at this task of doing what she did. But she made such a tremendous impact that when she died, they sent for Peter, who was miles away from there, to come and, and, and be involved in this process. And, and I love how we see this, this picture that when he comes, the widows are there showing the garments that Dorcas had made for them. You know, how important she was and what she did. And when we talk about the witnessing task, today a lot of people want to talk about how we witness by our actions. And I think it's important that we talk about that, but I also think there's a danger. Because, you know, other people who are non-Christian also do good things. One of the challenges that we see, for instance, is with the Mormon church. I've, I've had conversations with Mormons, and they have a very emotional connection with their church because the Mormons in their time of need took care of them. And so sometimes it's not really about... Uh, about the intellectual connection that they have. It's just about that strong emotional connection. I remember as a kid and uh, going to camp and, he- and, and singing that song, They Will Know We Are Christians by Our Love. Does anyone else know that song? They will know. We- you don't want me to sing it. So, um, 
And it's interesting, as I thought about that song, it's all about our actions. And, and we'll, yes, we do show that through our, our, our Christianity does come through our actions, but it can't just be our actions. There's that quote that you see go around the internet a lot and gets brought up in books and the like too that's actually wrongly attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. And he talks about this idea about speak the God, or he doesn't even say speak, he says, talks about sharing the gospel and sometimes use words. And I've heard lots of people say, oh, I really like that. It's really great. First of all, St. Francis of Assisi didn't say it. We don't know who did. Second of all, it's actually not even biblical. Paul in Romans talks about this need and this drive and this desire that we need to be able to share speaking the gospel with people. You know, people don't know that you are a Christian unless you actually say, I'm a Christian. And this is what it means to be a Christian. So I think it's important that we, we share, that we witness through our actions, but there, there has to be that, that, sh- that actually speaking of the faith to people as well. And there's a danger I see today too in the church at large with short-term mission trips. A lot of times people will go on these short-term mission trips and I'll, I'll talk about it and say, hey, what'd you do? Well, we went down to Mexico and we did house building. That's, that's fantastic. Uh, well, what else did you do? Well, that's kind of what we did. Well, did you, did you talk to people about Jesus because that's what it means to be on mission? Well, no, we told them that we were from such and such church. I'm not going to deny the fact that you did some great work and some great service work, but don't call it a mission trip, right? It's a service project that you went on. Mission is involved with that speaking, that sharing of the gospel. And that can go hand in hand with service, which is fantastic, but we, we can never divorce one from the other. One of the other things I want to point out about this passage that I think goes back to the other story is um, what's fascinating is Dorcas were never told about her own witnessing and sharing the gospel with people, but it happens when she dies. Do you see this? Um, she's a corpse. And Peter comes and says the words, Tabitha kum which is actually very familiar Jesus when he went and raised the daughter, Talitha kum, little girl rise. It's the same kind of words going on here. And she, and, and she comes back from the dead. And it says here, um, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. She, Dorcas didn't go out in this sentence and was even sharing the gospel, but because of this miracle that occurred, people believed in Jesus. And I think that's just mind-blowing to me. She didn't do anything. And again, that gets back to the fact that it's what God does in us. Ephesians 2. We are dead in our trespasses and sin. I use, the, I use the analogy that when a person goes in the ER and they're coding, they can't reach over and grab the paddles and say, you know, bring themselves back from the dead. You know, stand back. You know, they can't do that. It takes an outside person to do that, to bring someone else back from the dead. And the same thing is going on here. It takes God to change our dead, cold, stony hearts and give us hearts of flesh. And here we see that. She doesn't do anything. She's a corpse. And yet this story and this miracle point people to Jesus as the one who brings us from death into life. And so as we think through all this, Again, it's the emphasis I'm going to push on you, that there is freedom that we have in the gospel. 
freedom to share. Knowing that God is involved in all that. In fact, even knowing that in your baptisms, Christ is in you, and so his voice is echoed behind your voice as you share the gospel. The timidity that you may have in sharing with other people, you know, and as we pray for boldness, remember that boldness comes from God and that God is, God is acting. There have been times in my life that I've been amazed that as I've shared the gospel with people and I'm, and I'm done with it, I'm just like, where did that come from? There was this kind of sense of boldness, and the only way that I can explain it was the Holy Spirit moving in me and using me. And it reminds me of Jesus' words in the Gospels to the disciples when he said, do not worry about what you're going to say, because I will tell you what to say. And so as we learn and we study and we grow in the faith, God uses that in our interactions with other people and in our ability to share that gospel with other people. And he uses us, again, as messy people in a messy world to share this life-changing gospel with other people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the lives of the saints of the past. We thank you for both men and women whom you have used to share your life-changing message with others. Lord God, you are the same God who is yesterday, today, and forever. The God that moved in the past who also is moving in our present. And Lord, I just pray that you move in us as modern-day saints and use us to share that life-changing message today with those around us, with those in the spheres uh, in our influence, Lord God, with those we come in contact with. Give us a boldness through your spirit, Lord God, and a reminding that it's not a burdensome task, but a joyful task. And a task, Lord God, that you are in control of and that ultimately you're the one that moves the hearts of others to come to faith. And through all this, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.